It is something that I, I have made it my life purpose to share my story, to show people that you can go through some really crappy stuff in your life, but that doesn't make you who you are. It doesn't define who you are. It doesn't paint your whole picture of life for your future. My life is amazing and I, I can create the life that I want to live. And welcome to All Grow First. I'm your host, Jessica Minhas. We are a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting you on your journey of mental health, hope, healing, and freedom. On this episode, Jessica Daly joins us. She is an adolescent occupational therapist, founder of Diamond Mind Radio, a wife, and a mom to three. She is also a survivor of incest and joins us on the show to speak about how she is healing from her experience, why she chose to report her abuses and why speaking out about abuse is her life's mission. We also talk about the culture of silence in families, acceptance, and breaking cycles of abuse. Please be advised that we do talk about sexual abuse, so this show could be triggering. Please be mindful for yourself and any little ears who could be around you. As always, we hope these conversations help support you in those little steps towards healing. So if there's someone in your life who may be encouraged, please share this resource with them. You can also find more healing resources in your area on our website under our Find Help tool. One more thing, our work is made possible by your support. If you like what you hear, you can donate on our website at www.allgofirst.com. Jess is so full of life and is a light to so many. I think you're really going to be inspired by her. Let's get started. So Jess, you and I met through our dear friend, Sarah. Sarah works in the advocacy space as well. She's a social worker and you guys met through your kids and you're pregnant again. Congratulations. Thank you. Number so, three. Yeah, number three. Jeez. <laughs> I need to catch up. We're the we're the same age, and I haven't I haven't Let's even go. started. <laughs> no pressure. And we are talking over Zoom, thanks to COVID. Where are you right now? I am well, city wise, I'm in Port Orange, Florida, but I'm sitting in my baby's nursery right now. So, just to give you guys a real detail of what's going on, I got the baby shower balloons behind me and all that good stuff. We brought the party today. Just now, going to party. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So you work in this space. I know a lot of it comes from your personal story. You have Diamond Radio podcast, which I was on. Yay! We will link to that in the show notes. And yeah. it really is about you know helping people heal from trauma. One thing that you say is you're trying to save people time. Yes. With your podcast. Why is this work important to you? Why why this? You know, you could be doing other things like I would say to some guests, like you could be doing fashion. Like, why aren't we just doing fashion? That's so funny that you said that. And I don't know if I share this with you because I know we've like been talking for uh, you know, for hours, like me and you just really connected, which I just love you so much, like instantly. I actually went to school, well, was on my way going to for college to be a fashion designer. <laughs> so that's really funny that you're saying that. Uh, I love fashion. But yeah, the reason why is I wanted to do something that was 
a lot more fulfilling to me. I really believe my life purpose is to share my story and, and by sharing my story to help people to overcome trauma related barriers Mm -hmm. that are stepping in their way of living their life to the fullest. My degree is in occupational therapy. I'm a occupational therapy assistant certified with the state of Florida and national. And the reason why I chose that over a psychologist was because I could help people to uh, live their best life. A lot of people don't know what an occupational therapist is or what we do, but basically anything that's important to our client is important to us. And so if you tell me that you can't live your life because of X, Y, Z, I'm going to step in and create some goals and help you to live your life the way that, you know, I had no idea. Yeah. It's such a great Wow. I had no idea. Wow. One thing that I really admire about your journey is that you stood up against your abuser in trial. What was happening in your house? From my earliest memories are of trauma, of being sexually abused. My whole childhood isn't isn't filled with this trauma. It's a foundation. It's a lot of a lot of toxins in my soil. So I was sexually abused by my biological father until uh, the last occurrence was when I was about, I think, 13. Um, And in between that time, it kind of slowed down as I got older. But it was it was really hard for me because I was I I was kind of brainwashed and feeling that I had asked for it and that it was all my fault. And that this is something that I, you know, I brought on myself. Um, and if I was a tell, I would be ruin the family. Uh, you know, there was a lot of things I was told just to kind of paint a little bit of a picture for you guys. Like he would say that we we're going to get married one day and that kind of stuff. And so that, that could really play wow. a number on wow. a, a young really? child listening to that. You know, I'd watch Cinderella, Prince Charming. I'm like, I want that to be my husband, not my dad. So as I got older, it all kind of just was like not making sense to me. And I I was starting to get a little bit more scared because it was a normal thing as a young child to me because it was what I thought all dads did Mm -hmm. until I went to school and they put that video VHS in and had the scary uncle shadow in the room and the little girl with the covers over her head. But I was like, well, that's an uncle, not a dad. So it's okay. Like, that's how my brain worked. Well, of course, like, if that's, I mean, wow, I didn't realize that this was, I, I mean, I didn't realize that it was, it started so young. Yeah, so young. Like, I can't, I can't pinpoint the because they're my earliest memories. That was one of the things that they kept asking me when I did report it. So I, I reported it when I had moved out. It was a very dysfunctional living situation, home, life. I have younger siblings and I always vowed to watch over them, but it wasn't until I was you know, older. So moving out of the house, I can't always be there. So when I found out that he was moving back in with my mother, because there was a time where we were able to be split. Wow. Yeah, I was about 17. And then my youngest sister was about seven. So that was no good for me. I, I remember my uh, husband now, but then fiance were living together. He opened up the phone book, my best friend sitting right next to me. And they're like, this is the number you need to call. It was 911. <laughs> they're like, you need to call right now because we can't wait another moment you know and it was something that i always told them this is something i'm gonna need to do 
is to make this required. I need, I need support. And they were my biggest supporters. Did teachers down. know it? Know at school? No, I I never had a teacher that really reached out to me and said, "Hey, how are things going at home?" I never had that kind of teacher or that kind of relationship. Like I hear a lot of people talk about their favorite teacher and this person they could confine in. I never had that kind of trust, which is kind of sad. But uh, I think that's why it's important that I am that person in my role as a guidance counselor um, at the school I work at to really extend a handout and to, and to really show our students that I really am here and I really do care. So I end up making that a, a report and that's when things went kind of crazy for my family. And I remember when I went to my therapist when I started talk therapy, she's like, just imagine a baby mobile and it's just been going around in circles yeah. in this perfect, you know, unified circle this whole time. And then you come along and you're just now like bashing it or you're tearing off one piece and you've completely destroyed what's going on. Not, she didn't say destroyed, but in my mind, it was like, I destroyed that mm -hmm. stuff. So she's like, it no longer can go back synced. She's like, you have just broken the cycle. And that's essentially what I wanted to do. I just didn't know that language. I didn't understand that. I was so young. There was another incident that CPS was called from somebody that worked on the ground. Mm -hmm. And one quote that you had mentioned was that the CPS worker said that you were so strong, but you said you didn't feel so strong because you had this secret. Yes. So my biological father owned a lawn business and he had a worker who lived on our property. Well, he really became a part of the family. I don't know how long he was with us, but he went on family vacation with us. Wow. He had a lot of time to groom. Uh, so I really trusted this person. He would, you know, be there a lot of the times and he worked with my, my father at the time. Uh, my parents left to go to the store one day and I was in fifth grade. I was 12 years old. No, I was 11 years old going on 12. My mother was pregnant at the time with my little sister. And I remember we're sitting in my room and I was so excited. I was a little nerd. I love fashion. And I had this like nerdy outfit. <laughs> I thought it was the coolest thing. It was like this two piece, you know, those like two piece outfits and with, with shorts underneath. It was like sewn together. It was like that kind of outfit, like Bermuda shorts. It was, I was a nerd. It was very Dude, that nerdy. That sounds awesome. But it sounds like it, I would wear that now probably. It was great. And it had the yeah. best going on. Oh my gosh. I was all about it. I <laughs> That sounds awesome. I was really excited. I wore it to, like, I was wearing it to bed so I could wake up all fresh in it. <laughs> like, I wanted to wear, as, wear it as long as I could. I was, like, really silly about it. So I had that on. And then I was writing in my diary. And I was, you know, just doing that thing. And my sister was in the room with me. And she's two years younger than me. And he comes and peeks in the room. And he's like, hey, you guys want to play a game. I was like, no, that sounds stupid. I'm, I'm busy writing some serious stuff right now about my life. <laughs> and, um, my sister went and I, I remember hearing them counting. I was like, Oh, that sounds like fun. I was like, never mind. Change my mind. I'm, I'm totally down for some hide and seek. So I went out there and taxis on the TV. It was like pretty late at night. You know, I remember him saying, your sister's not doing this game, right? 
we need you to play. And he, and to this day, if anybody is explaining anything to me and they confuse me, I am not, I need you to explain everything until I fully get what you're saying to me. Because I did not understand a word. Like I really did not understand what he was telling me. He made up this whole game. It was from his country. He was from Mexico. So I ended up getting raped by him that evening. And luckily my little sister got worried because she didn't know where we were. And she actually scared him away. And then he stole the, the family work truck and fled the country. He wasn't found until like about two years later in New York. So he ended up, we ended up going to trial. Uh, I ended up doing plea bargain with that because I was so young still. They took the clothes as evidence and they ended up saying my, my cute outfit was, you know, something that they were going to have against me, which I was so the criminal baffled by. I was only in fifth grade too. Wow. So <laughs> and as a, I think I was 13 at the time when they found him. So I was really confused by what I was, why I just don't understand. I was like, but this happens. So why do I have to prove it happened? No, you were 11. Like, yeah, I can't so, sometimes I'm just baffled and floored sometimes by criminal defense lawyers in these right. cases. I'm just always shocked at how they frame up the evidence against a victim. Yes. That in their mind, saying it out loud, that it makes sense to them. An 11-year-old cute outfit could be used against her. Yeah. And I was I explained that outfit, man. That was, it was really cool, but it was like not, and even if it was something. Yeah. Even if I was naked, nobody gives you the right to touch you if you don't want to be touched, you Absolutely. know? Absolutely. So, I mean, even if that is, it's like... It doesn't make sense. Wow. So. so you had this incident happen when you were a kid and you mm -hmm. had to deal with, I mean, a baby, like a child, child, and you had to deal mm -hmm. with the judicial system. And then when you were older, I don't know how you had the bravery and the courage to want to do this again against your father. Right. And when you were saying, when I had told you a little bit about the story before and and the advocate came in when I was at the hospital when they did the rape kit and everything. And she was telling me how, you know, her experiences and stuff and how brave I was. And that's when I was thinking in my head, I was like, you have no idea. Like, I'm not brave. Like, I can't even tell you about the worst of it. Like that wasn't even bad to me. I was terrified, but it wasn't even like as bad to me as what else I've gone through. And so at that age, did you know by then that this was wrong? What was happening with your Oh, dad. Yeah. yeah. When did you realize yeah. you, it was wrong? When he, when we were having a, when he was having, going yeah. over me and just doing some things to me, uh, I just remember like, you know, I want to marry you. Like just things that I knew weren't, I knew that wasn't normal. So it was like, I got really scared. I got really scared. And that was the first time I'm having my out-of-body experience completely separating and just being and seeing what was happening to me. It was, I can remember it like as if it was clear as day, exactly how that happened. And I think what really has helped me through going through all the abuse is in that moment when I remember the first time having that out of body experience and realizing everything that was happening wasn't okay, wasn't right there was something there, there was someone there, not like words or anything like that, it's just someone saying, physically saying, just like a force 
because I was staring, like looking at everything happening. This is such a weird thing to explain to people, but it really happened. And I remember like the force of them taking my face away. Like, don't look at that anymore. That's something that we're not going to watch and everything's going to be okay over and over again. And that's something that just became like a mantra to me is that everything's going to work out. Everything's going to be okay. So I think just telling myself that over the years that everything's going to be okay. I've really made it a mission of my, my, my own to work out how is it going to be okay? How can I make this okay? Because I, it's not enough for me just to say, yeah, everything's going to be okay. Well, how is that going to happen? That's part of the work that I do with Diamond Mind Radio and the other and the coaching stuff I do is how can we get to where we need to be? It's great to say, like, I'm, I'm going to be healthy. Well, how are you going to get no, I'm there? I'm so glad you said that because I think it can feel so overwhelming. I I think it can be feel so overwhelming coming from a place that you have come from and where I've come from and so many people listening who have struggled through childhood abuse or sexual assault, even as adults or any trauma when people, you know, well-meaning friends and loved ones in our lives say it's going to be okay. It feels kind of overwhelming. I yeah, think. Like, what do you mean by that? I guess, um, cause there isn't a path forward. So I'm so glad that you have gotten really, granule about how how to make it okay Mm -hmm. yeah it's super important because I think that's part of the conversation that's a little hard for some people and especially for our friendships right like when you come to someone it's like you don't know how to approach something sometimes you don't know how what the right words are to say to somebody or how to support them and it's okay to not know how to support someone maybe say well hey I'm here for you if you need me or how can I support you like, I want to be here for you. I think that those are all like important, you know, ways to like kind of open the door and say, hey, I'm here if you need me, you know, boundaries, but I'm here. Ooh, that's such so. a good point. Having those boundaries for yourself, but really putting yourself in a position to support somebody. I keep going back to this trial thing because I do think it's so rare for people yeah. to go up, up against their perpetrator. And I kind of didn't put it together until this conversation that you have done this once as a child and then once as an adult for what happened to you as a child with a family member without that much support you know you had your fiance but you were breaking the cycle yeah it definitely rocked my family like when you do something like that nobody is really expecting it first and second you just don't know what's going to happen. People's emotions and reactions, you can't control the, that stuff. So I couldn't control how people reacted to me. Like I, I would have a family member react with compassion one moment and then react completely irrational the next, which really did a mind you know, number on me. And, and not, I wasn't well, I wasn't mentally well, suffering from PTSD and all the things, depression. I mean, I would, my husband would find me in the closet buried hiding just sobbing and I wouldn't I would black out like I just would be the bathroom for some reason and the sitting in the shower would be my other go-to place and it was it was just really bad I would have very vivid just vivid dreams and nightmares and it just so much stuff happening to me so I wasn't well so I didn't know how to handle those people and my family so the best thing for me to do was to really allow them to distance themselves from me mm. and not chase their approval or chase their willingness to support me. I was like, well, I need the support. And my husband was, is there and his family is there. And, you know, my 
sister, older sister, and then I had another person who was also prosecuting him who was there. So I had a nice little niche of people. So I was just kind of my blessings for, for that. It was challenging though. I mean, I, <laughs> do you regret it? No, never. Nope. And that's what pushed me to do to do the right thing for me, the right thing was to report it because I would never be able to live with myself knowing that I could have prevented, prevented someone else to go through the same thing I went through. Cause I'll tell you like as a fifth grader, a little girl, like looking at my, my little girls in fifth grade and to imagine her and I'm pregnant now, I'm just like making this correlation right now. It's going to make me cry. I can't imagine her sitting in front of the mirror looking at herself in the eyes and saying and praying and saying, I really hope that mommy has a boy so she doesn't have to go through what I went through, you know, and that's what I was doing at my daughter's age saying that those prayers and looking at myself in the mirror, just going, you know, let's just hope it's a boy. Cause I, I thought boys don't get abused. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's just like, it's pretty powerful to me. And I found out it was a girl. <laughs> so that was pretty um, scary to me. And I remember saying, well, I actually said this to myself. I said, well, if it's a girl, then maybe she'll be the one to tell. And then I was quickly slapped with reality. I was like, well, crap. Like if she's, <laughs> if she's going to tell, that means that's going to happen to her. And I don't ever want that to happen. So that's when I vowed to myself that I'm going to make sure that I tell one day, I was just so afraid of what was going to happen because you're a kid. You don't, your family is all, you know, you don't know anything other than what you know. So yeah, it took, it took some time for me to make that phone call. Of course it did. I mean, you were still a child. The fact that you made the phone call is remarkable to me. We've had some other guests come on the show who are from Asian American families as well. And they talk a lot about like the secrecy of everything. And so what comes to mind with your story for me is not only is there so much silence and secrecy and shame wrapped up in child sexual abuse, but sprinkle mm. on being half Chinese and, and what that means culturally. Right. Yeah. So for me, my grandfather was pretty disappointed. I want to say is the right word for that. I remember him calling me. This is when I, we had a pretty good relationship, my grandfather and I. And when he called me, he asked me questions that made me really uncomfortable. He asked me a lot of questions that I was asked during the deposition. Uh, and it was very uncomfortable to have just him ask me stuff like that. And I did not feel supported. And, I, and then, then he asked me, or told me, not ask, he told me that I need to tell them that I was lying, the police he was referring to, and just so we can keep this in the family, and that I should have done that in the first place. So I think that was definitely a part of the culture there. And this is my mother's father, just to make that clear. And he actually ended up paying a high-powered attorney, actually two or three of them, he went through a couple of them, um, I use the public people and he paid some high power attorneys to go against me, which again <laughs> was floored me. I didn't get it, but that's okay. Cause I was telling the truth. Wait, so he, he hired lawyers to defend your father who 
was not even biologically related to Correct. him. Why, why do you think you wanted to defend him? That's a great question. And what I came to the conclusion was, is that the man is to keep the family together. So my mom's really nothing without my, my father, I guess. I mean, that's how he painted everything is that we need to have someone in the head of the household, which isn't my mother. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. How, how have you dealt with the anger of everything? Cause I know you're, uh, you ended up having to take a plea bargain for both trials. I am just yeah. a, like nauseated by the fact that you're, maternal grandfather defended your biological father yeah it's a shame incest and i don't know how i would deal with the unjust and just uh, like i don't even know what the word is just the i know like (sighs) i'm baffled like how do you cope with the injustice of it all that's a really great question i think there's layers to this acceptance came to mind for one. And that's really important. It's a really important piece when I talk to people, when I'm guiding them through their healing journey is acceptance. Really asking yourself, like, what am I okay with? I think what made me the most angry was the thought of my little sister going through what I went through. That's what fueled any anger in me. You know, I wanted to go through the trial. I wanted to, but then I became pregnant with my son and I just didn't, I had another life to think about and the stress that it caused me to see his face. And he had already been, uh, I didn't acknowledge this part, but when I had made the report, he actually had fled the country. So because he was flight risk, they had found him connecting flight from Paris. Where did he go? He went to France? He went to Paris. Yeah. I mean. He went to Paris. Yeah. So, and then he was on his way back to Canada or his way to Canada. And that's when they got him. And then because he's a flight risk, they kept him. He actually served. He was in there for four years awaiting the trial for myself going through all of that. And it it was a mess and the questions that they ask you. I mean, there's just so much going on when you decide to do that, you know, tell. And uh, so when I, had that proposed to me, you know, Hey, we're, you can do a plea bargain. Here's what it would look like. I fought to the nail for as much as I could get. And what I got was four years served and time served, which was four years and 10 years probation. The probation was the most important thing to me because I wanted to make sure he was me a registered sex offender and that he wasn't going to hurt anybody else and that people knew what he was capable of doing because that was my whole point was why I made the report was to not get vengeance on for me it was to protect other people that was my purpose in telling so as far as like being angry about that and not getting really what I really wanted was him to stay there and to really protect everybody I did what I could do so it's acceptance and and what do I have control over in here I had control over my voice which I never had before I could sing my story if I wanted to people are going to listen and I had control over showing up I had control over all my actions and so that's what made acceptance easy for me and made it so I wasn't angry about the results because I don't have control over what the 
judge says or what anybody else thinks or any of that. And that's where I have to be okay with the turnout. And I think that's what really helped guide me to have that mindset to be, to, to be right with myself. I hope that makes mm-hmm. sense. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That makes so much sense. I, wow. Just being in control of what you can control and being yeah, in control like- of knowing that things are not controllable. <laughs> yeah. I always say I'm like, you can only control what you can control. And it's not easy sometimes to like, some people are like, yeah, but it, I'm like, it's not, you're right. Like, it's not that easy to live in that moment and be like, yeah, I can only control what I can control. So whatever. It takes some time to accept it. And I think that's where the acceptance comes in. Give yourself some space, give yourself some time to grieve, give yourself some time to cry, give yourself some time to do all those things because that's healthy. We shed tears for a reason. I think it's important to recognize our emotions and and to realize when we're being hijacked by our emotions, Mm. when our anger hijacks everything and, and where we're not able to be really rational thinkers, you know? I think that's really important for that's us. So good. Oh my gosh, I got so angry today and I, I'm like I was I was like, don't respond to this email. And then I just <sighs> said fuck it and I responded anyway. And I don't regret it this time. <laughs> and it's okay. I, I think learning what's theirs, like how to hold your ground with mm-hmm. stuff and not be walked over because I know I fall into that trap. We're just getting walked over because of my trauma and being really accommodating and overly apologetic. And so I'm like still learning how to stand up for myself, but not in a way that's overboard. (laughs) Right. Yeah. It's healthy in a way that's healthy. Yeah. You're learning your balance. Yeah. And that takes time. You know, I'm still, we're not perfect beings. We're always, I think what's important is that we learn, we learn through our actions and that we're able to reflect. I think the worst thing is when we do things and we don't see and we don't reflect and we just keep repeating these bad behaviors and these bad traits. It's just not good for us. We want to have this growth mindset, right? So it's like, well, does that contribute to having a growth mindset? I want to be a better version of me. Was I a better version of me today? Or did I continue down that path of that same trait that I'm trying to ditch? But it's okay. People beat themselves up all the time. It's like, we're not perfect moms. We're not perfect friends. We're not perfect spouses. We're just, we're people. And as long as we're like learning, I think that's the most important thing. And we're reflecting and saying, hey, okay, I, I screwed up right there. What could I do differently to be a better Jess? I'm not perfect, but I definitely try to do that for myself every day. If I didn't do that, I would definitely go bonkers for sure. <laughs> you have been married now for how long? Oh my gosh. We've been married. We've been married for, to me, a short time, just 12 years this coming November. Yeah. But next month. And we've been together since I was 17 and now I'm 37. So that's a long time. 20 years. <laughs> I know. He asked me without the ring, like a lot. What a like teenage heartthrob dream cinem- uh, cinematic moment. <laughs> this is totally like a rom-com. A lot of people and myself included when approaching romantic relationships with a history of abuse, with a history of sexual assault, the first thing that I thought of is, okay, but once they know X, Y, and Z, 
then will they really be able to love me? You right. guys met when you were in high school and I'm, I'm doing the math right. Then this isn't too soon after the situation with your father. This is only a few years later after the situation when you were 10. Um, 11. Yeah. 11. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so not too much time ha- has passed. Yeah. How did you approach being vulnerable enough to be loved by somebody? Everybody's journey is so different, you know? For me, when you say that, I I can relate and say, okay, for me, that was, you know, am I worthy enough of this person's love, of this amazing, like, (laughs) extraordinary person, just like full of life and ready to like conquer the world. And I'm like, terrified to do half the things that he was even proposing to me. So, but he pulled, pulled that out of me, you know, pulled the best out of me. I think it's really important if you're finding yourself in that, well, should I initiate love with this person or have a relationship? Are, is this person healthy for you? What qualities is this person going to bring out? You might not have the answers, but if it, is it, well, they're, they could pull something good out of me because they're just so healthy. How do you know what healthy love is? I didn't know. There are so many dudes that I dated that I, I am like, wow, I could really see my trauma getting played out. But there are also some really great guys that I treated like shit that if you're listening, I'm sorry. <laughs> and you just said it, Jess. They were healthy. They were so yeah. healthy with their love and their affection. And I was like, that's bad. That scares me. Yes. And that you just said what, like, what you're asking me. You just answered the question because you, you know what unhealthy is. You've been through it. And you might be attracted to that because that's really all you know. It's your normal. Do you consider yourself a a victim or a survivor? That's a a great question. Uh, And I kind of get definitely not a victim at all. I hear the conversation, I'm not a survivor, I'm a thriver. Yeah, I see myself as both, I guess. Definitely not a victim anymore because I'm... I'm able to identify what is okay and what's not okay. And I'm able to use my voice, which is to me is the most powerful tool that I feel like that I have is my voice because for so long I wasn't able to use it. Totally. Yeah. What about you? I think I'm asking because I'm not sure. Yeah. I think feeling the word, are you a survivor? feels like a lot of pressure. Hmm. But I think that's coming from the public perception that I have of the public right. thinking when you're a survivor, then you're in this certain place. And I, I go back and forth. I think maybe I'm a survivor in overcoming child abuse because I'm older. So by right. definition, I'm no longer a victim of it. But I think right. the sexual assaults, that stuff is like, that has bled into my adulthood in terms of actual incidences. I don't know. I think it's just, I'm still dealing with stuff. So I don't yeah. feel like I can even say that I'm a survivor. It feels like I'm taking up too much space to say I'm a victim because I myself, it's so ironic because I tell other people not to do this or encourage them not to, but it's coming from my own narrative where I struggle with comparing my experience to other people's experience and then diminishing mine. Yes. Which I am a huge advocate of telling people don't do that. I know. Same. Yeah. Same. Yeah. <laughs> Don't compare yourself. I know. It's really hard though sometimes because we're human (laughs) and that's where our thoughts go sometimes. But 
But that doesn't mean we can't take the switch and go, okay, well, I'm not going to think that way. <laughs> that's not, that's not what I'm going to do. Has labeling or naming your experience been helpful or hurtful for you? So I think, uh, I believe it definitely is helpful because it's pulled that part of me that has always wanted to help other people. That's, I mean, that is literally how I was able to tell my, to make that police report was to help other people. It wasn't to like help me really, because I, 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 I just didn't care enough about me, which is horrible for me to say. I just, I wasn't worth enough for me to stand up for myself. I just didn't, I didn't feel like I was that worthy, but my sister's and other, the thought of another child, well, that's a whole different story. Um, yeah. so that's what gets me ignited. That's what gets me going. That's why I cannot listen to other um, survivor stories or, or hear about, you know, watch movies with that. I just can't do it. It makes me feel helpless. Mm-hmm. And I don't like that. What would you say to somebody that has this kind of history, but is like, oh, it doesn't affect me or... Like, it's fine. It's not that big of a deal. Or that was then, this is now. I I can empathize with that. I think on the outside, like you, when I hear this sort of injustice, I'm going to raise up (laughs) and cause hell. But for myself, I also struggle with that. So then as a loved one listening to a friend or someone I care about talking about their experience and them not wanting to report, it's hard for me. Yeah. I hear that all the time. I hear those stories. I hear people tell me that. And it's something where I had to learn early on, like super early on, that I have to be able to accept someone else's decisions and journey. But that doesn't mean I don't have to to not let them know I support them. And I don't have to not educate them. So I'm obviously for reporting because I reported. And why I'm so supportive of reporting is because of prevention is to help stop someone from doing it to another person. And that's extremely important to me about breaking the cycle is one of the most important things to me. So when I have someone who is like, I'm good. I don't want to, I mean, there's many reasons. There's a reason why out, well, they're married now and they have kids and I don't want to ruin their life. They seem so happy or it was so long ago. Well, yeah educate them and let them know typically people don't come out and feel comfortable or safe enough with what they're with the abuse it's normal this is normal for you to come out years later definitely like 20 years is the average i don't remember what the average is but that does sound pretty close like i mean there's people who where it happened in their childhood and they're 50 just now coming out and totally the person who who did this is long gone but Now they're dealing with the cleanup. What I normally do is let them know how I feel like my story and let them know, Hey, I'm here for you anyway that I can support you. But I definitely advocate for, you know, reporting and and making sure that this person doesn't do it again. Knowing what you know now with everything that's happened, the whole process from the beginning reporting now as the mom, almost to be a new mom again for the third time. <laughs> what have you learned about love? What have I learned about love? To be open, to be free, to 
to be non-judgmental, to be selfless, even though you're so much of yourself is involved in love, just removing your ego, which is super hard sometimes, can really catapult you to the next level of love. You've done so much work in your journey, standing up for yourself, going to counseling for a really long time, a lot of humility and grace. I'm, I'm really proud of you as your friend. Thank you. I really appreciate that. How can people check out your podcast? How, how can we support you? Please visit diamondradio.com if you want to listen to the podcast or find more information about me. And the podcast is listed anywhere podcasts are heard. So Apple, Spotify, iHeart, everywhere. Well, thank you so much. You are a joy. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. This was an absolute honor. So love you, Jess, my new friend. (laughs) Same. Feel the same. I'm Jessica Minhas, and thanks for joining us on I'll Go First. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Our mission is to uplift and support you in your journey of healing. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, comment, and share. And if there's a topic you'd like us to dive deeper into or would like to share your story with us, we are available on all major platforms at I'll Go First and www.algofirst.com. We'll see you next time.